0: TypeScript is a typed superset of JavaScript that compiles to plain JavaScript. My guest John Turner maintains the TypeScript package at Microsoft. John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: What is TypeScript? So TypeScript, in in a nutshell, is a typed superset of JavaScript. Um, It's really basically just the JavaScript language, and then we add two main components to that. The first one is an optional type system that allows you to get really good tooling, error detection, um, but it's, it's like I said, it's kind of optional. So you can put it in where you want it and then take it out where you don't want it so it doesn't really kind of get in the way and come up the works. And then the other kind of feature around it is that it's a transpiler. So it's taking like what we call ES6, which is the current version of JavaScript that was just recently ratified, um, and even feature, future versions of, of JavaScript, ES7 kinds of features, compiles them down so you can run them in any browser, and Node and you know, kind of across anything. Uh, so it kind of does this dual path of type checking and tooling and also transpilation. Why is TypeScript useful to the average developer? So it really fits into whatever you're trying to do with, you know, in your, in your workflow. So if you need a transpiler and you need something that is, you know, letting you use the features from ES6 like classes and modules, you can compile those down, uh, and then use them use them today. If you want good tooling or good error checking, you know you may have a bunch of unit tests. But then once you write those unit tests, it's always nice to get like that, that extra bit on top of that. And and type checking gives you kind of a little bit of extra confidence that you got it correct.
0: So for developers who are less familiar with um, dynamic versus statically typed language. So what what is the advantage
1: to having typed variables in the code that you're writing? Sure, so in JavaScript, all, all programming languages are typed on some level. And that means that any value in that system, there is some shape to it that either the runtime system understands or the compiler understands. And so that's how it does its job. You know, in the, the most basic sense, you've got a number, I and mean, you, you know, you can add these two numbers. You know, when I put plus between two numbers, that means add. But without the type information, I don't know that. And so, for example, in JavaScript, if I, you know, do that between two strings, I get a concatenated string, right? And it's at runtime; it's looking at the types of those two uh, arguments, and from that knows, okay, this is concatenation versus addition. So there's a runtime sense of what these types are. So what TypeScript does is it lets you in a sense, lift that much earlier in the process. So you're not running the code, you're you're kind of annotating the code and letting an editor or a compiler check it for you ahead of time. So the runtime would be the dynamic style, and then the compile time or editor time frame would be the static.
0: What happens if I declare a TypeScript variable X as a number, and then I reassign X to a
1: string, all in TypeScript? Right. So that's totally valid JavaScript, right? So you can do kind of this reassignment, very flexible dynamic uh, style programming, um, and that's valid JavaScript. But in TypeScript, we have a bit of an opinionated sense of what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. If you say something is a number, and then you go and then change that from some, to something that's completely different, that's completely not compatible, like a string, we think that's a probably an indicator of something that you should either refactor. Um, at the very least, you should be notified. Well, that that doesn't look very good. Uh, so that's where we start doing these kind of in an editor, maybe squiggle underneath it, so you can kind of look at it and dive in a little bit closer.
0: TypeScript does give users the option to leave their variables untyped, though. So, why would a why would a user sometimes choose not to
1: use static typing? I think there is. The, there's a lot of power in the flexibility of the JavaScript language. So you can do mix-ins, you can do, uh, you know, inheritance patterns, you can, you can get even fancier if you want to and kind of have these like ad hoc extensions. Uh, those are really cool. And they're also kind of get further and further away from what a, a compiler can, can reasonably describe in the type system. I mean, sure, you can make your type system like really fancy, and really elaborate, but then like only 10 PhDs in the entire world will know how to use this thing, right? In and in a type system it's just a tool. And the more people that can understand and use the tool, the better the tool is. So there's there's kind of a natural fall off where you're like, okay, at this point, the static type system, that kind of needs to get out of the way because there's something more interesting in a, in a dynamic sense that I want to do. And I, and I want to be able to do that. So a typical
0: JavaScript application would have to do one that's not using typescript would have to do type checking with verbose lines of code you know the javascript application could use the keyword type of or you can write your own function to test if something is a number or test if it's a string but each of these options seems like it's decisively worse than using typescript When the application can move all of this type checking to a compilation step, instead of having to do all this type checking within JavaScript, the check only needs to occur once. You only need to to check it in the compilation step. I mean, you have to check each time, uh, you you have to check each variable, but there's only one step and it's outside of the realm of execution. So does this summarize the big performance gains of TypeScript?
1: That's a, that's a great question. So the, the type checking that the compiler does, uh, like you're saying, is only at compile time. After that compiles, all that type information gets erased out of the code, and what's left is really clean JavaScript. It doesn't have any, any type checks at all. Uh, traditionally, you kind of have to do those yourself, like you're saying, using type of checks or using some kind of reasoning uh, where you're, you're checking a, a parameter or, or a field and then based on the value of that field, doing some some bit of logic. So yeah, in some sense, there's some subset of that, those checks, that can just be lifted straight into this optional type system, and then some of the performance gains of not having to do those checks at runtime kind of help you out. You do, you know, in some sense, you will end up doing some some checks, right? You can't lift everything into the static type system, kind of like I was alluding to before, not everything is really easy to describe in a static type system. So, that, uh, what we kind of see is that there's kind of a balance. Um, just like the type system is optional it kind of lets you jump in and jump out, uh, a lot of the flexibility of using the type system means that you can you can you know put the checks in, and in some cases by putting the check in, the the compiler can look at it and say, oh, you're using a type of check. Now I know the body of that if has that that type, and I can give you all the IntelliSense and error checking for that inside the body of the app. So it kind of mixes and matches. Okay, so we're going to come back to that in a uh,
0: discussion of V8 further down, but I want to continue to give a better sense of the gains that you get from using TypeScript in your application development. So TypeScript was first developed because of shortcomings of JavaScript, which led to problems developing large-scale JavaScript applications within Microsoft. What types of problems were occurring in the application development process
1: that uh, TypeScript was developed to solve? So back when we started working on TypeScript, we had teams like the, the Office team coming to us and saying, you know, we have multiple teams working together on the same project basically like multiple components and we have to be able to agree on on where these boundaries are Uh, not just the boundaries but like the contracts at those boundaries and at the time the only the only you know reasonable tool was the closure the Google closure compiler which puts you know in comments you could annotate the type information and then the Google closure compiler compiler would check it being language designers we kind of looked at and said well you know ergonomically it would be so much better if the types were kind of right beside the things that they are talking about rather than kind of lifted out in the comments so that that started the ball rolling of thinking you know what we could do is build on javascript you know a set of these kind of additional features that helped with these large-scale uh large-scale projects that needed types for being able to describe um, these contracts and then that kind of grew from there so those initial pressures meant that we also wanted to um, something we haven't talked yet is that the the type system, in addition to being optional, letting like you kind of opt into pieces, is also structural, meaning that it it only cares about the structure of the type rather than the name. So, for example, in a traditional language like C sharp or Java, if I say class C and I write some stuff for class C, and then I say class D extends C, and then I start using uh, a variable of type D later on. That's compatible with C because the names line up. Right? That's called nominal subtyping. What Typescript does is says, oh my gosh, trying to keep all the names straight when you have multiple modules coming together and you know that's very normal in JavaScript. you know, for example, the promise libraries. You want something that's just no, no. if, if it has the same structure, that's good enough. It has a structure of a promise. Anything that has a structure of a promise is compatible with anything else that has that structure. So that allows you this more, what's called structural subtyping, so you can, you can have the flexibility of mixing and matching. Uh, again, kind of an, a theme for, for TypeScript, being able to do that with multiple JavaScript libraries uh, and working together from that. So kind of popping back up to your question, having the flexibility and kind of building on that idea really helped us kind of define what TypeScript became so it could work with these larger applications.
0: Yeah, and I like the word ergonomic that you use to describe the necessity to move to well, to not focus on closure script, to focus on uh, you know, something that was better that put the types right next to each other. And it seems like that idea of ergonomics is a theme when I've been researching and having conversations with people about this all JavaScript development that seems to have taken the development world by storm. It's it's not as much about uh using using job, javascript stuff that that performs something that is on a physics level you know having some huge advantage it's like the conversation that you and i were having before this before this talk um you know I, I was interviewing a guy about mongo and it really seemed like the biggest performance gains that you get from mongo are this it's the same thing it's like ergonomics everything is in json and it just simplifies a lot of things for you. So, so yeah, I, I think that's a that seems to be a theme in the um, the uh, uh, new features of of JavaScript development that uh, that have come around as of late. So, so how did Microsoft solve those problems before TypeScript? So, you, did, did did Microsoft just simply not do? I mean, I can't imagine they didn't do large-scale web development. Did they just have, you know, incessant problems? Yeah. So I want to I wanna get back to
1: the ergonomics thing. Oh, okay, sure. Just so, so let's, sure, so I, I, like, let's, let's loop sure, back. Sure, we can loop that back, back. All right. That's fine. Fun. Okay, yeah. let, me, let me answer the, what did we do before TypeScript? So um, before TypeScript, uh, in effect it's still being used in some places in the company. We use this thing called ScriptSharp which was a C-sharp to JavaScript compiler. That's kind of cool, right? We already have a ton of institutional knowledge, especially Microsoft or on C-sharp. Great, let's just use that and compile it under JavaScript. And we looked at that. We said, you yeah, know, we could kind of build that into a thing and, and, and kind of put some more energy behind that. But when we actually started to think about like JavaScript, like if you could get close to JavaScript, so you're, you're closer and closer to, um, uh, the language of JavaScript and the patterns of JavaScript, you're also getting closer and closer to what a VM can really rip on. And so, if you're building these large applications, you're going to want smaller memory footprints and faster execution. And the best way to do Wait, when it. you
0: say a, a VM could rip on, you mean like could, could have trouble with? No, oh, no, it could go really
1: fast. Oh, okay. I see. Right? So, it's like just like when you're programming a game, you want to get as close to the metal as possible. Right, so you want to be coding so that there's less abstraction. You want to get you know, fit the memory, fit the cache, fit the you know number of threads, and so forth. In the JavaScript world, you want to get as close to the patterns that the VM recognizes as possible. Right, you'll be using less memory, and it'll be able to recognize it and then kind of turn that into faster uh, VM code. So, once we're like you know, one of the guys that was um, uh, early on on the TypeScript team is also one of the first engineers that worked on the chakra engine. That's the JavaScript engine right. behind IE and, and Edge. And he was like, well, I can tell you what the good patterns are today. And we're like, great, let's start with those. So the class pattern and the kind of module patterns we are doing are all stuff that VA and chakra could really dig into and like really make good, fast code out of. Once we knew we could do that, it, it the path was really clear that JavaScript was absolutely the answer, and then TypeScript is really just kind of that little bit of extra um, for better tooling and, and error checking and stuff. Can we talk about ergonomics? Though? We could. We totally talk about ergonomics. Yes.
0: Dive in. <laughs> <All
1: right>. So, <laughs> is that is that like a buzzword around here? No, no. Like, <laughs> I was just thinking about like how much I care about ergonomics from from a developer point of view think about like and and I'm kind of riffing on uh, oh man what is that guy's name that I'll think about we'll, we'll put like a you know link in the description or something uh, he was talking about you know the importance of shortening the time from when you get an idea to when you can output the results of that idea so like a cycle time yeah kind of like that yeah right so if you have not to pick on C++, love C, right? But man, the compile times are crazy. So if I have an idea, to know if that's even the right thing, I have to wait that whole compile time. Right? Scripting languages knew to do this better. The turnaround time is so much faster. Great. So now I can just not compile I can just kind of run it and all the patterns that came out of that, like the Ruby days and Python and all the unit testing, kind of a huge birth of unit testing around that to get faster and faster, right? you're, you're trying to, to shorten the time between idea and, and execution and actually seeing the results come back to you. And so I think TypeScript, kind of bringing TypeScript into it is, is trying to get, um, wherever we can get that friction, kind of shorting the, shortening the friction. If it's you're doing silly errors, sure. Throw in some types, we can do an early check. If we stop you from, from doing that early error that you would have to debug anyways. If you don't want that thing to get in your way, great. If you don't even want to compile stuff, one of the things we just recently did was to add support to system.js and some of the JSPM and that kind of stuff so that you can just put a link in your web page. And that will go and automatically compile your TypeScript, so you don't even have like that compilation stuff, kind of, if you will, shortens a bit, and you can just refresh your web page. So I, I think that um, I I I think one of the things that you're talking about with JavaScript before is that a lot of JavaScript developers care a lot about ergonomics, and I think that that's that's something we're trying to learn as much as we can and kind of incorporate in, into the design of the language and the tools.
0: Well, because it's like we're no longer developed by. We're no no longer bottlenecked by, really, processor speed. We're not bottlenecked by, you know, the amount of memory we have. We're not bottlenecked by cost anymore. What are we bottlenecked by? It's the fact that we can't develop, we can't talk to the computer, like, in in an efficient enough fashion. So really all that we care about at this point, I mean, not all that we care about. Certainly we want to fix those other things as well, but, like, we care about most, might as well speed up the developer time, because all this wasted developer time kind of sucks. Yeah. And, ty- and that's what and TypeScript solves a lot. TypeScript, you know, a, a, leads to an avoidance of technical debt and bugs and, um, yeah. Um, so, okay, so, <laughs> assuming you've talked about ergonomics enough, <laughs> I'm glad, glad I piqued your interest <laughs> with that. Um, so, something I found interesting, um, maybe this is like Compilers 101, uh, but so the the current TypeScript compiler is written in TypeScript, which I you know I, I, I heard talk uh, where somebody said that and I was like well, so what, how was the first one like this is like a chicken and egg problem <laughs> so but no so obviously like you know this was this was the the first TypeScript compiler was not written in TypeScript so could
1: you describe the process of compiler bootstrapping, sir. <laughs> sure. Um, Yeah, this is kind of like that age-old question. I remember when I was uh, an undergrad, and uh, it was a Microsoft talk, actually. They they go and buy pizzas and try to recruit their interns. And at the end, I totally had ignored the entire talk because they had mentioned compiler in in the talk at one point. I was like, how does the compiler build a compiler? I don't understand. (laughs) And so I walk up to the guy at the end. I'm like, I don't care what all you talked about. Just answer me this what language was the compiler written in before it was the the language the compiler wrote so yeah no <laughs> oh man good times um the original bootstraps of the compiler i don't even remember what they were probably like c sharp or something uh, JavaScript, just, just to JavaScript. kind of get started and then like there probably was a javascript version and then it kind of oh okay okay like right so whatever was fast whatever you could kind of write a, a quick parser and kind of output the code you know, we would do that, and then kind of build quickly. Um, right now, I don't even think the compiler bootstraps itself because it already has the JavaScript version. You know, you got the right. TypeScript, you compile that in the JavaScript. Boom! I just I just hand you the JavaScript, and that runs everywhere. Right. So to clarify, like I, I'm pretty
0: sure the first the first TypeScript compiler was written in JavaScript. And maybe they just did a quick, messy job, and then at that point they had a you got your JavaScript compiler, and you can compile TypeScript to JavaScript. And then at that point, you can write a new TypeScript compiler in TypeScript, compile that down to JavaScript, and then in the future, you can use that for all your JavaScript needs and so on. Okay, so yeah, I thought that, I thought that was interesting. I think the, the, the concept of compiler bootstrapping is, is interesting. I'm surprised I hadn't learned about it prior. So... Um, how, how rapid is the adoption of TypeScript? Like how, um, how much, cause it seems like basically like, why wouldn't you use TypeScript, right? So, so, so how fast is the adoption?
1: Um, so when we first came out the door in 2012, I think it took a little while for people to try it. Um, a lot of people at first were like, okay, <laughs> the first thing was, wow, Microsoft and open source, no way, this, that, that's like a unicorn, it doesn't exist. Um, but uh, no, we kind of kind of proved out that Microsoft could do open source, and it took us a while to kind of learn that. Uh, and as we were doing that, more people started trying the, the tool itself, started trying the compiler, started trying the editors that we were working on. And that started people talking to each other about, wait a second, <laughs> this actually is not a bad idea. Once I start writing my JavaScript, I can, I can kind of just use it when I want to, and I don't have to when I don't want to. And there is some little bit of like, there's some overhead to getting started, especially if you've got like a large project that's already in JavaScript. Uh, It does take you a little while to kind of bootstrap that whole thing up into TypeScript. Um, But uh, yeah, from the beginning, we saw kind of this like linear growth. And now, uh, more recently, as ES6 is really starting to take off, uh, we did um, kind of a partnership with the Google Angular team. So Angular 2 is written on TypeScript, and now there's like, about five libraries, five big libraries that are written in TypeScript. Uh, that has started this, you know, definitely an upward tick in things like npm downloads, um, where we're seeing more and more people pick it up and say, "This is actually a pretty good idea, and I can see where the value is."
0: Um. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I read a really good blog post. You probably read it uh, about Asana moving to TypeScript. Um, so, so there are there are big entities that are adopting it. Um, and the the reason that Asana adopted were the same things that we you know mentioned earlier. They were just having all these problems in trying to um, trying to iron out bugs in the development process and, and I think they said it helped with testing too. Um, so TypeScript was worked on heavily by Anders Halesberg who is the lead architect of C sharp. So and he's also he also created Delphi and Turbo Pascal, um, so he's a legend in in the development of programming languages. Are there some language design preferences that he has that are common between these different languages that he's created?
1: Oh, that is a that's a juicy one. Let me see if I can like actually solve that in my head. It's like seeing the overall <laughs> of, of all these languages all at the same time. So one of the 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 things that Anders has as an aesthetic uh, goes back to Niklaus Fjert, who's the guy that made Pascal. Um, there's a, a simplicity, a kind of unifying aesthetic to how he designs languages. You can kind of, um, you can see it especially kind of emerging as C-sharp matured. At first it was like, oh, that's, that's kind of similar to Java, Java in a way. Um, but it's, as it's kind of matured, it's become its own thing, and it's got a whole bunch of cool features um, that simplify tasks like asynchronous programming or, or querying databases and objects and finding things in your, your, your project, like a link, for example. So a lot of the aesthetic around keep it simple, be able to describe it. Um, like one of the things that, that he does really well is to go and, and talk to people. If you go watch his talks, they're really accessible. Um, They're really well done. And he spends a lot of time thinking about designs that just translate really well. And I can describe it to you, you got it. You can just run with it. Um, So I think that aesthetic has kind of carried through the years. And when he's applied that to JavaScript, um, you know it's kind of morphed and changed a bit. But it's still, I think, that underlying thing is still there.
0: Yeah, and he said, In TypeScript, instead of a switch between typing or not, you have a dial. So you can turn up or turn down typing. What are some of the features that allow for a variable amount of typing from absolutely no typing to very explicit typing?
1: Sure. So uh, when you first start using TypeScript, let's say you've got a JavaScript file already. You rename the JS to a TS, and then you run it through the compiler. The first thing the compiler is going to do is it's going to start doing some inference through your project. And the inference will it's is local. It's not trying to do global inference because that gives you some pretty crazy uh, type errors if you've ever used like an ML style language. You can get headaches, headache inducing type errors. But locally, so you're looking at the code and you're like, I can squint at it, I know what's going on. Okay, that's good. Um, Wherever it doesn't infer, like for example, let's say you've got a bunch of functions and you don't give any types for any of the parameters We intentionally don't go diving because we want you to have nice, again, nice local inference So when you don't have those parameters, it's typed any, and any type means anything's assignable to it And from that I can assign to anything else. So it is a way of um, Getting out of the type checker like turning the type checker off, anything that's type any kind of gets out of the way of the type checker. So any, that any concept, uh, you can cast anything to any and then turn that type checking off. So really you've got nice fine grained control uh, using that feature in the compiler. The type inference, again, is local, so it kind of, it's helpful, but doesn't try to get overly helpful and give you something confusing. Um, And then kind of as you sweep that spectrum, there are features like on the high end, um, what I would say like the more strict side of TypeScript where yes, inference goes and wherever it, it can't infer something it says, that's type any, you can actually turn that off. So it's no longer allowed to ever infer type any and then it gives you an error. So you can know if top to bottom, the compiler has understood absolutely every type in your, in your application. And so that's called no implicit in you. That, that's kind of like turning the dial all the way to 11 and then seeing everything that the compiler can see uh, and then forcing you to annotate everywhere it can't understand. Uh, at, that, at that extreme, you have like full fidelity knowledge of, of the whole application. And then you can do like refactoring and you know any 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 kind of refactoring then is safe if you're not using that any type. It's got the full static type information.
0: So with, with modules and um, generics and all the abstractions that you can build in TypeScript, um, JavaScript, it, you, you, know, it, you seem to be able to, well, within TypeScript, you seem to be able to reverse engineer Java's programming model or C Sharp's programming model, how, however you want to look at it. Um, so a modern JavaScript ap- application is written in TypeScript it compiles down to JavaScript and then it oftentimes runs on J- on on Node.js, which which in turn is is just running on the on the V8. So this, this seems really similar to Java compiling down to Java bytecode and running on the Java virtual machine, or C sharp bytecode running on the common language runtime. Is the future going to see JavaScript adopt an increasing number of
1: java features or c-sharp features yeah <laughs> I, I i wonder if that's the case so you know with es6 you've got classes and modules like you're mentioning and the kind of patterns that you can write in them now start to steam look a little bit java-like and i think there's been at least in the javascript community there's been a little bit of backlash of you know don't turn my JavaScript into just Java, right? They don't want it to, to kind of turn into the thing that they ran away from ten years ago and you know ran screaming. Um, I I think there's going to be there's going to be some settling into the new patterns of ES6 as people start to use them. The libraries that are being built today, you know, your Ember two and um, uh, Aurelia and Angular 2, like these, these kind of libraries that are like the modern libraries for JavaScript. Uh, and React also, like all of these use classes as, as like a, a main idea in the, in the library. So I think it's probably gonna settle that, yeah, JavaScript is gonna keep maturing and evolving. And if you wanna just keep using closures and functions, you can do that. But then there's, there's still kind of a whole bunch of cool new patterns. Uh, then if you kind of let yourself start to learn the ES6 stuff, uh, kind of open the door to some.
0: As, so if we start to look at raw JavaScript as an analog to bytecode, and it's pretty pretty strange analog because you can read JavaScript, you can't really read bytecode. Right. But like TypeScript becomes relatively a higher level language. And you could conceivably as as we said, you know, you could build Java or C sharp on top of JavaScript. And there's actually a project called Dopio that does this. Um, if if Java or C sharp represents the rich and highly developed extreme that that we could potentially go to down this path, and the current version of TypeScript is the nascent undeveloped extreme on the other side. Where along the gradient between those two
1: ends would you like to see TypeScript go? Well. Um, I, I the vision I have for, for TypeScript is to kind of ride along with JavaScript I think with, with ES7 they're now entering like a yearly update like now, you know, next year this time next year, ES7 should be coming out the following year, ES8 so JavaScript is going to start evolving a lot quicker than some of these you know other projects other languages so that's, that to me is in itself pretty exciting, that they're they're intentionally trying to speed up uh, their evolution a bit to kind of pull in, you know, good practices from the community, turn it into things that are kind of codified in the language. TypeScript being a superset, kind of happily rides along with that and can have uh, the, the type checking and the type system and, and whatnot as part of that. That said, there is an effort that I'm working on with some of the other um, uh, checkers like Facebook flow and the Google closure compiler to take the type system like a common type system between us and to standardize that into the JavaScript language. So you have this nice optional type system uh, that is, but that's fully supported in all the JavaScript tools and, and browsers and whatnot. And I think that is, that is a really promising thing but it's probably gonna take some time to get to that point.
0: Google's AngularJS 2.0, as you said, was built on TypeScript. What was the process? And, and as I understand, TypeScript, the TypeScript team worked with Google on that. That's right. What was
1: the process of partnering with Google like? So it kind of started uh, simply enough. We had um, uh, a fan of TypeScript that was also uh, worked on the Angular 2 team, Rod Weisenberg. Uh, this is you know last year and he had been mentioning to them that oh TypeScript is you know there's some pretty decent guys on there that are that are interested in working with libraries uh they're also interested in some of the features that Angular 2 was also interested in so he kind of mentioned to them a few times that they should talk to us and kind of mentioned to us we should talk to them and so I think he gets you know some credit for us starting to talk to each other um Around November of last year, uh the there's NG Europe. It's one of their one of their big uh, Angular conferences. And there they mentioned they, they announced this project called AtScript. And just like TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript, AtSet was a superset of TypeScript. And it had, you know, some reflection capabilities and some annotation capabilities. And uh we reached out to them and said, "Well, that's those are actually kind of cool. Would you like to work together and kind of bring AdScript and TypeScript together?" So, you know, from starting in November to you know sometime in early March, we worked with them to fold um, the lion's share of those features from AdScript into TypeScript to the point where we're we were building uh, the Angular two library as it was, you know, back then, and we were showing them like, "Look, we built just we built." The library, and then we built your your demo, and now it's running. And uh, you know, that was with kind of the coordination with them, and you know kind of fixing stuff. And where we landed was something where they could start building all of ingo to in in TypeScript. Um, and then I took some of that work that we were working on, uh, which became the decorator proposal for ES7. Uh, Yehuda Katz had already been working on that. So he and I started uh, championing this, the uh, the ECMAScript committee. Uh, so some of the some of the work that we did is kind of like living on and, and hoping to become standardized as well. I want to talk about the broader
0: world of JavaScript. Why is JavaScript on the client and on the server such
1: an important concept? I think there's this. There's the kind of a sweet spot when we were talking before about ergonomics and you know reducing friction. Like if I can learn a bunch of patterns and I can, I can you know get used to uh, ways of working that you know works well with these libraries or works well with uh, module systems and whatnot. I can translate that knowledge from the browser. A lot of that kind of carries over to the server. Now I don't have to learn a new language. You know with V8. The speed of JavaScript got so much faster. Like it opened up a whole new world of what JavaScript could be used for. And, you know, props to the Google team behind that because that really kind of lit the match under a whole bunch of, you know, Firefox team and, and, you know, here at Microsoft. We started caring way more about JavaScript performance because now we see, wow, there's a lot that we can do. Um, and since then, like all those engines have kind of jumped up and made really fast JavaScript possible. Yeah. So to, to interrupt, um, I I've been trying to figure out uh, if
0: I can get uh, like a V8 expert to come on uh, for this week, but I'm not sure I'll be able to. So is there? I mean, are you well versed enough in the V8? Could you give a, a technical explanation of? No, nothing. No, sadly not. Yeah. Oh no. Okay. So I have a
1: uh, I have just a cursory understanding of the kinds of things that, that they did, um, but you would you would be so much better served having an engineer that worked on the on the team kind of give so, you a rundown. Okay, but do you know, is, is this an accurate high-level
0: explanation of what is so powerful about the V8? So prior to V8, you've got JavaScript, and it gets converted down to bytecode, and then the bytecode has to get converted to machine code. That's right. And the power of V8 is that it compiles... JavaScript directly to machine code and skips the bytecode intermediary step.
1: To my understanding, that's that's a piece of it. The other big piece is that um, they did a lot of work in detecting when a pattern of, you know, before classes were in ES6, you had to encode a class into a closure, a function closure, right? So you have this function closure and then it's, it's creating the different fields and the different methods. Is this prototyping you're describing? Yeah, like even even before like having a prototype chain, having just the object and newing that function, that function's gonna stand up and then create a bunch of things dynamically and then it's gonna quit, right? So that function sounds awful lot like a constructor for an object. That's because it is, right? But you have to stare at it and see the pattern, recognize the pattern and say, ah, it's a constructor, right? That's an inheritance hierarchy, or that's a you know a prototypal chain, or you know whatever, right? So, I think some of the the genius behind V eight and, and the way they work is they were looking at patterns like that and saying, I'm going to take a guess, and then if I'm wrong, then I'll fix it, you know. Uh, and Firefox had been doing earlier stuff like that too. I mean, it, this is uh, you know kind of you know, uh, evolution, right, rather than revolution, where we've been kind of like iterating and iterating, but. You know, you put a bunch of those ideas and you do it really efficiently, and then you come up with something that seems a whole lot better than where we were before. And I think that's really where they they kicked it off.
0: Yeah. I find it interesting that JavaScript started as this thing that was just like this three-day throwaway project, and now it's just become this giant ecosystem. Do you think that says anything about the broader uh, picture of how innovation happens? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that we that we kind of put innovation in this weird, in this weird. Uh, well,
0: it's funny because like some innovations are like you work really hard at it, and like you you know, and then, and then other ones are like just this total accident. Like it's like it's almost like the you know some some weird mutant evolution because it's it's almost like it was random. Like Brendan Eichel even mm-hmm. say, "Yeah, I didn't mean to do this." Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I uh, <laughs> I don't know I think it's that's probably like a, the question for the ages. Like, yeah why does some technologies really take off and it doesn't seem to matter a ton whether you invested you know a hundred hours or 10,000 hours something connected to people that you know didn't like exploded. Yeah. You know. Are there any big,
0: shortcomings of the current JavaScript ecosystem like you know we talk, we talk about like you know you know type typescript you know fixes the the untyped problem right but are there any are there any other um, pernicious frequent problems within the area of just just total
1: JavaScript development that come to mind well one now you got me thinking about bytecodes and, and stuff like that something that Brandon Knight just of just announced with this WebAssembly project that he's been working on, and JavaScript, like you said, it's like it goes everywhere. It's like it's in the browser, it's on the server. Uh, but one of the things is that it's it it lacks certain capabilities that allow it to really, you know, really be a target for like high performance applications like video games. You know, things like um, being able to do multi-threaded. Uh, uh, engine, game engines, right? You can't really do that in JavaScript very easily. Being able to do SIMD um, like instructions, SSE, MMX, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's just now starting to go in ES7, but hasn't been there, right? So you can't do like nice matrix math. And again, being able to do that in the hardware is what makes things like games look so awesome. You're doing all that optimization, you know, where where it is like laying on the metal. So some of that, some of the things that were like the domain of bare metal are now being lifted up into JavaScript. I think that is um, where you see them lifting in that that kind of features is where the, you know, kind of where the gaps were identified, you know, the threading and the the performance and, and whatnot. Um, the the WebAssembly project got started from this thing called asm.js, Asm.js. And ASM. It's ASM.js. That's right, ASM.js. And the the idea there, uh, which was created by Mozilla, which was was all right. We've got JavaScript. Let us like narrow down the JavaScript language to a tiny, tiny subset. And that tiny, tiny subset, let's we know just enough about that to optimize the heck out of it. It's like an instruction set. Yeah, it's like a tiny instruction set that does only. For example, integer math, and you can do like an array. So you're manipulating things in an array. Well, shoot! If I know integers in an array, I can compile that down to just you know machine instruction codes trivially, and then just let the you know, let the processor rip on that. And that um, that JS project, you know, they put that into Mozilla, uh, the Firefox engine, and then showed off, you know, some kind of like unreal like the Unreal video game engine, they show that running in the browser at like near full frame rates in their earlier demos. And it blew our minds because here's this thing that's, you know, it's basically just using WebGL and Asm.js and it's just, you can run See, Is there a
0: YouTube video of this? I need to put this in the yeah. show notes. That yeah, sounds you can, crazy.
1: You can find it. I had it. no yeah, idea yeah. that was, wow, that's yeah. That's cool, yeah, we'll find it after this, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. And the new demos are getting ever more increasingly crazy.
0: So how, I mean, is that just like, are they able to do that because they're like looking at a, uh, you know, how, how do they get it running so, per, like is that just they know exactly what they're doing with this
1: small sample? Yeah, so the, the trick is actually that they don't write it themselves. They use this thing called mscripten, E-M, script, E-N, uh, in scripting, takes C plus runs it through the LLVM compiler toolchain, and then outputs JavaScript, outputs asmjs oh, so they... as output. <laughs> right, so you have this that's huge amount of JavaScript that's asmjs JavaScript, and then they just like throw that at the, the browser, and the browser can run it. Uh, so it is oh, kind of cheating. Okay. But now you're now you have a way of, of you know they took their C source code and it's like 90% of it or whatever carries over to Asm.js. and so their port times are like nominal by comparison but
0: how can they reverse the pro- like how can they go from seeing oh okay we know how, now we know how to decompile c, c uh, essentially what they're doing they're decompiling c++ code to javascript code but now but the idea uh, as i understand the idea of Asm.js is to Allow people to write Java, or enable people to compile their JavaScript down to JavaScript code that runs a lot faster. So what? So those? so
1: ASM ASM is just the subset of JavaScript. Okay. So they are taking C going through the LLVM, okay. and outputting ASM JS. They're not even trying to do JavaScript. Oh. So ASM JS is just like the instruction set. At that oh, point, okay. Right. So it's just they're they're converting the LLVM bytecode instruction set to so so LLVM. so what
0: they're exemplifying oh, is they're sorry. saying they're saying hey we've got this crazy C plus program and we figured out how to run it in the browser yeah. we can probably figure out how to run other things in the browser that's right that's fascinating and so the co- the collaboration for WebAssembly is pretty remarkable you've got people from Chromium people from WebKit, Microsoft Edge, which is the new the next iteration of Internet Explorer. Well, it's not Internet Explorer anymore. But and then Mozilla Firefox. And so this is basically all the major web browsers teaming up to work on something. And so we, we were we were talking about this in the in the same conversation where we discussed uh, you know, this is like Ang- Angular J- JS 2.0 being the collaborative result of Microsoft and Google. Um, are we moving into a world of technological collaboration among tech giants rather than like strict competition?
1: I hope so, I do. Yeah. I think there's like the, the thing that I want to happen more than almost anything, because it's so great to compete and come up with ideas and like, I can do that better, right? Do it, but then at some point stop and then collaborate with the person and say, let's take those ideas and put them together. Because the end result, you know, um, I, I'll tell you. This story. when I first went and and went to TC39, which is the the ECW Script Committee, uh, it was years ago, three years ago or something. I was like, I don't get it. It's like everyone seems like they're going in a different direction. I've since like sat on it, you know, a dozen times or something, and I get it now. Like everyone's coming there with their own unique set of ideas, and they're all, like, the overlap is, is not as, like, minimal between the different areas that these people care about, but the end result is something that actually is quite cool. Like, they're able to cover a huge swath of the, kind of, the engineering space around JavaScript, you know, people, some people care about security, some people care about performance, you know, someone like Yehuda cares about Ember and, like, The way that you can describe what you want in JavaScript is like it's more of like a like the the passionate engineer, the passionate artist. You know, each one has kind of their personality that they that they bring to it, and the combination is so cool. And I think that the more that we can you know kind of encourage that and show that that works, the I think the better off honestly that we can kind of get. It's still good to have competition. It's still good to have ideas. Kind of show which one um, should dominate. You know, like. Yeah. Something like React, looking at Angular and saying, "Oh, I can do it better." And you know, this is these are all the cool optimization techniques that we come up with. And we're gonna, you know, look at functional programming and all these new functional, you know, new to us functional programming techniques that were, you know, from like a decade or two decades ago. We're gonna bring them forward and show the world that these are actually still really good ideas. Awesome, right? And then we see that idea kind of percolate into Ember and Angular and other libraries. See that and say yes you know immutable data structures are fantastic or you know minimal change detection fast change detection algorithms are great thank you you know and now they've got something that uh, feels a bit more collaborative and they can kind of share these ideas
0: yeah it, it almost seems like there's enough of the pie to go around like don't not really there's not really a need to c- compete If you know this, this gigantic pie like we're all we're all going to when, in the, assuming like the world doesn't collapse, if you want. <laughs> I mean, I, so yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so so getting back getting back to TypeScript, um, so this this question may not really be relevant, but how does the speed of TypeScript interpretation compare to JavaScript compilation on the VM? Or, I'm sorry, on 8
1: That's the speed of TypeScript compilation. So the, the TypeScript compiler uh, does a, a number of steps. So it's hard for me to kind of like mentally pull apart the different okay. stages. So, and maybe it's kind of, since this is a more of a technical deep dive kind of podcast, maybe it's kind of cool to talk about what those stages are. Sure. So people can kind of mentally see that. Please do. So. The first stage in the compiler is... This is a a piece of TypeScript code, you've written it, you're getting ready to compile it down to JavaScript. Right, so you call the compiler and you pass it that file. The first thing it does is what's called parsing. It's going to take that file and then it's going to turn it from just being straight line text in a file to being a tree. And that tree, you know, kind of like a... Remember sentence diagramming back when you were a kid? Right, it's kind of like sentence diagramming. You've got, all right... Here's the start of a statement, and then the statement is broken into, let's say an assignment statement. All right, there's an equal sign, and there's a left-hand side. It, so it's a, abstract syntax tree? Right, right, okay. AST. So um, uh, this abstract syntax tree uh, has some cool features that, that we need. For example, we try to maintain white space, and we try to like maintain like some of the comments that you're putting in so we can put them out of the, the result. So it's not completely abstract, but it's abstract in that, yes, we know your whole your, whole file uh, as this abstract tree. It goes through kind of a sanity check. The next thing it does is it goes and tries to find where each, um, uh, each symbol is declared. So, you know, I'm using x down here, and then the var x is like way up at the top of this function. Great, it's going to do this binding phase, and it binds all these variables and binds all the symbols. Once it's bound everything, it knows where everything's coming from, it does a full type checking. Um, the type checker and the parser are meant uh, to be able to work on the command line. So just like every other compiler ever, you can kind of run the file and it goes top to bottom and does it. But they're also made to work in an editor. So I can be inside the file and I can be typing in, you know, inside of a function and the parser is able to kind of locally reparse that section rather than having to reparse everything. Right, so now I can do really large files in my, in my IDE really quickly because I've got this nice incremental parsing. The type checker also is meant to be able to uh, kind of reach into the tree and then start at this part in the, you know, I might be deep in the tree. I grab that node and say, what is your type? And it can go and calculate it, and it goes back up the tree as far as it has to and then stops, it takes that whole path and says, oh, there's your type, and then can do the type. So, it doesn't even have to calculate everything to find the type of uh, one little area. It can do it more uh, kind of pull or lazily. Um, so, these features allow you to work both as a command line compiler and as like an IDE or editor style uh, kind of language service. So, you do a full type check. When you have a full type check done, then you can emit. And then we just kind of, just like you imagine, it's just going to run through that, that tree. It's going to try to carry as much of the white space and comments through, and then it outputs really clean JavaScript on the outside uh, because we've kind of carried out of that all the way through.
0: So where I was going with the the speed of TypeScript interpretation versus um, j- speed of JavaScript compilation, I was curious, um, is there a vision for, or maybe this, maybe you can already do this. I, this is probably something I should have checked out first, but um this shows the difference of like preparing for a podcast versus actually learning how this technology works but <laughs> can you write typescript in the browser
1: yeah so the um, there's a couple ways to do it i, I kind of mentioned really early in the podcast there's uh, a module loader called System.js. system allows you to kind of hook up a transpiler so we're going to run through see the typescript compile that and then run that um so you can do that in the browser The TypeScript playground, uh, which you should go to if you want to check it out on your your computer. Right, so there's TypeScript. I guess that that should
0: have answered my question. Yeah.
1: Yeah, TypeScriptLang.org/playground. You can go to that, and the entire TypeScript compiler is being hosted in the browser at that point. So as you're writing on the left hand side, you're seeing the live output of that compiler on the right hand side. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Are there some best practices for migrating a JavaScript application to TypeScript? Are, like, has there has anybody like written a book or an article on
1: you know here's how you do it? There's a there's a couple of ways to do it, um, and I think different projects are going to have ways that work better for them. Uh, what became the project that kind of became Visual Studio Online? Early on, had about 200,000 lines of JavaScript that they had wrote by hand. They did a ton of unit tests. There's a, there's a blog post about this. Instead of moving it one file at a time, they took the whole thing and just renamed all the files and then took two weeks. Boom, there's your 200,000 line TypeScript project. Uh, and they put just enough you know, type information in there that the TypeScript compiler, you know, where it couldn't figure things out, it could kind of get a little bit of help. So you can do it that way. And then now you have something that's very, very JavaScript-y, with just a little bit of types. And then over time, you can kind of use more and more TypeScript features if you want to. So that's one style. It's like the big bang approach. There's kind of more of an incremental approach, where people can take, you know, you've got a large project. I take a single JavaScript file. I rename that to TS. And then I, in my build step, which I might have if I'm doing like magnification or something, I take um, that TypeScript file, I compile that to JavaScript, and then the rest of it just kind of carries through just like it was before. So you can do that kind of incrementally. You start with a single file, and then you might add a couple more, and then a couple more. So the TypeScript playground is actually from this project called Monaco. It's the same project that Visual Studio Code is built out of. And that was you know initially done very incrementally. Only one or two people on the team were working in TypeScript. They only did one or two files just to try it out. And I kind of, I guess, funny story about the Monaco team is like they weren't, even, they weren't even bought in about TypeScript. They weren't even sure that that was a good idea. So they were early on, they were trying it out. And when a couple people on the team, like one person on the team tried it, showed the other person, they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Then they started using it. And then it kind of organically grew through the, the code base. So that you know, by the end, yeah, it was one hundred percent TypeScript, but that took like over a year of of them kind of like moving more and more and more stuff in the TypeScript. And you can kind of do it that way and kind of create a frontier um, that you're moving. What was the um, so you were the program manager for this
0: project? That's right. So, what was the 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 process like? Um, I mean, so so from from the very inception, you were the program manager or like
1: from when it started, or so when. It, Early, early days it started, um, one of the other TC39 members, Luke Hoban, uh, was the program manager, and I was kind of, if you will, mentoring under him. So the two of us were kind of the PMs over the TypeScript project. Um, about, you know, six months to a year, I can't remember exactly when, he moved off of doing JavaScript and moved on to be uh, other, do other projects. And then after that, I kind of became the program manager.
0: So, what was the? How do you manage a? Because like, how do you manage a process, a program? How, how do you manage the project of building something as complicated as a, a superset of JavaScript? I mean, I can think of like how do you manage a project for like you know a, a to do to do list application or like sure, a sure. shopping application or something. But this is much more abstract,
1: right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's the planning process and? I um I have two really good dev leads that work on the team, and um, we do you know the planning cycles and all of that. Everyone is is lockstep together. So I work with the dev leads. They're doing the projections and the bug burn downs, like all the stuff that you need uh, a dev lead or dev manager to do. And then my job as the program manager is basically to say. How healthy is the project? What are ways that we can kind of grow the project so that it's a little bit stronger? Um, What are partners that we can partner with? Like the the Ingema team, that was kind of my responsibility to kind of continue that. Um, And, you know, really continuing to look where the community can grow around it. Um, So the day-to-day stuff I do some of, um, but mostly what I do is like the high level thinking and planning and, and making sure we're going the right way. Great. All right. Well, uh,
0: well, it's been great talking to you uh, again. John Turner maintains the well. He's the program manager for the TypeScript project at Microsoft. John, thanks so much for coming on to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Thanks, Jeff. It's been fun.
0: Yeah. Awesome. That was sweet. Really enjoyed that.